you have your Bible today, I want to ask you to open it up with me to um, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, you will know Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus's big sermon recorded by the disciple, the apostle Matthew. This is really Jesus's first big sermon that he gives to his disciples. You guys will all know this passage of Scripture very, very well. I'm only going to read one portion of this sermon, which is what we call today the Beatitudes. And so if you've got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 5, I'd like you to look, zoom in there to verse 3. I want to read verse 3 all together. And if you guys would like, why don't we read this aloud all together as a family? Jesus speaking, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask you to take your word today, plant it deep into our spirits, sow it into our souls. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fall on us today, crash in on us today with your love and your power and your grace. Transform us. Jesus, transform us this morning because we want to look more like you. We want to behave more like you. We want to pray more like you. We want to live more like Jesus. So Jesus, we ask that you would cover us today, that you would transform us today by your word. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen. I love this verse of scripture. This verse of scripture prompted me to begin to think about what it would be like to be hearing this sermon in person. I don't know if you guys ever read the Bible, you open it up and you just insert yourself into the story, but I love to read the Bible that way. Have you ever read the Bible like that before? You just pretend that you're there. And you, you, you sometimes role play a little bit and you're like, okay, I'm going to pretend to be the Pharisee. Okay, see, I'm... I'm kind of like exposing my nerdiness, and I get that, okay? I'm a bit of a Bible geek, but that's okay. And so I will insert myself into the story as one of Jesus' disciples. And then all of a sudden, sometimes their responses don't seem so ludicrous. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'd probably respond the exact same way. You know, you read about Peter fighting with the other apostles saying, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. And we poke fun at them and we think, how could they even fight about that? But then when I put myself in the story, I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, I could see myself doing that. No, I'm the best. I'm the best Christian. I'll never forsake Jesus. Look at me. I'm awesome. You know, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we could all say that we play different parts in the storyline of God, especially as we read the gospel narrative and we view it not just as onlookers, not even just as students, but as participants in the very life of God. Because in the same way that the apostles were given permission to be exposed to the nature of God through Jesus, we too have been given permission to be exposed to the nature of God through Jesus. In the same way they encountered Jesus, we can encounter Jesus through the word. We can encounter Jesus through prayer. We can encounter Jesus through worship. But sometimes as Christians, you know, we don't really live this way. We don't really live like Jesus is present with us all the time, 24-7, 365, do we? I mean, when you think about it, do you really live with an attentiveness, 
with an understanding that Christ is in you, that Christ is walking with you, that Jesus is beside you like we talked about when we received communion. You know, I began to think about that this week because I needed to revisit the definition of what it meant to be a Christian when I read this passage. You know, if you were asked, what does it mean to be a Christian, how would you define it? How would you respond? If somebody said, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian? What would be your knee-jerk response? What would be your go-to definition? I mean, if you're okay with me answering for you. I think that you would probably say, to be Christ-like. If, if that's what came to your mind, just let me see your hand real quick. Okay, four people. Okay, so I wasn't right. But let's pretend like I'm right and that you would answer and say, to be like Jesus, to be Christ-like. That's what it means to be a Christian. Now, how many of you guys are honest and say, yeah, that's what I was thinking? Okay, most of you guys. Only four people raised their hands again, but I will pretend like most of you guys raised your hand. To be Christ-like, all right? Hey, don't worry about me. I brought my own encouragement this morning. I got my own Holy Ghost. Okay, don't worry about it. But eventually, I want you guys to get excited about this because Jesus is here. The Jesus we're talking about is in the room this morning, and he intends on transforming you so that you don't walk out of this place the same way you walked in. Could I preach you into a praise dance? Would that be okay? I'll dance with you. I'll go crazy with you, you know. So I was thinking about that this week, and I was like, man, you know, if being a Christian means to be Christ-like, am I really becoming more like Christ? Do I have a passion? Do I have a burning desire to be more like Jesus? Because I say I want to be like Jesus. I say I want to be more like him. And that's an awesome thing to say when I'm comfortable. That's an awesome thing to say when I'm sitting atop my spiritual high horse. That's an awesome thing to say when I'm reading my Bible. That's an awesome thing to say when I'm, you know, sipping my coffee that's been warmed to the, you know, most appropriate temperature when I'm doing my devos in the morning. It's like, oh, Jesus, I want to be like you, you know. But how about whenever Christ says, pick up your cross, forsake everything and follow me. What about when Jesus gives the message that he gave, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, you know, when he talks about all those very difficult things that we're going to experience if we truly pick up our cross and begin to follow Jesus. Forsaking everyone to follow Jesus. Somebody asks for your shirt, you give them your coat too. Somebody says, walk a mile with me, you walk too. Somebody smacks you upside the head, you turn your cheek. I mean, those are the times in which we really get to choose if we're really serious about becoming Christ-like or if we're just giving him religious lip service. You know, like Jesus said, hey, your lips confess me, but really your hearts are far from me. And I think that's what it means to be a confessing Christian without a desire to become like Jesus. Right? To be a confessing Christian without a desire to become like Jesus is the very definition of a New Testament Pharisee whose lips confess him, but their hearts are far from them. It is having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, which is the best way to define the religious spirit. Having a form of godliness, having an image of godliness, having a Facebook profile that says we're godly, but truly denying the power of the gospel, denying the passion that's in our spirits to become daily more and more like Jesus until as the world sees us, they see him. Until as we touch the poor, as we hold the hurting, as we minister to people, 
people as we go about our jobs that the world receives ministry from Jesus. That they feel real love in their soul. That they receive a spirit that transforms them. That knows that they belong. That knows that they're dignified. That knows that they're important. That knows that they have a destiny. That knows that they have a purpose. Like this is what we've been called to release to Nashville. Not just have a form of godliness. But to have the power of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that Christ walked in. So that as we, Christians, who are passionate about becoming Christ-like, end up bringing the same transformation that Christ brought. Like, this is what we've been called to as Christians. And I thought about that this week when I read this passage. I was like, man, uh, you know, I know a lot of Christians. But do we have a passion to become like Jesus? And if we do, what does that mean? How does that affect our daily lives? You know, I thought about, man, what if Jesus walked in on Sunday morning? Like, what if Jesus in the flesh, you know, what if, what if he was born in, you know, 1985? And Jesus in the flesh walked into this room this morning and he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How would we respond? How would we respond if Jesus gave us that same invitation in the flesh and we accepted the invitation and we became Christians? What would your life look like? How would your lifestyle be? What would your daily routine be? What would your schedule be? How would you be challenged? How would you be affected? How would you be changed? What would you do? Have you ever thought about that? If Jesus called you today and said, come, Be my disciple, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. What would that mean for you? I can tell you what it didn't mean. It did not mean to be a religious bench warmer. It definitely did not mean that because whenever Christ said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, they knew what it meant to be a fisher of marine life, okay? They were already doing that as a career. But becoming a fisher of men guaranteed that they would participate. They would not warm the bench. They would not sit back comfortably, but that they would follow this mystical man named Jesus from Nazareth and they would participate in serving humanity. They would participate in ministry to men. They would participate in compassion to women. They would participate in giving to the poor. Like they they knew that they were not being called to inactivity. They knew that. So it's it's I think it's mind-blowing. I think it's mind-blowing to the roots of our faith that we may confess Christianity and yet not participate in the life of Christ. Are you guys getting anything out of this? I want to encourage you, but I also want to challenge you. Because that imagery was almost haunting me this week. You know, if Jesus called me today, what would my life be like? You know, I can tell you what those guys, the disciples, what their life was like. I mean, they get called by Jesus, man. And they don't even know anything about about, about this guy. At this point in time, Jesus only had one sermon. It was the length of a tweet. It was less than 140 characters. He had one message and he stole it from his cousin. It was this, repent. Everybody say repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
That was Jesus' message. He borrowed that from his cousin, John the Baptist, who had been preaching it and baptizing people for years in the wilderness at the River Jordan. So Jesus comes, and he's walking around, and he's sharing this same message. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he's not just giving a good message. He is walking in power. He is walking in authority. And before he ever gives us a three-point sermon, he shows us what it means to walk in the power of God. Because people are being healed. People are being delivered of demons. People are being set free. Lepers are being cleansed. Blind people are seeing. Deaf people are hearing. Like lives are being transformed. Bodies are being completely restored. I mean, how many of you guys would say, yeah, that would be pretty impressive. I would be curious enough to get out of my boat, toss aside my nets, and follow this weirdo who I don't know, who's preaching the same message as a guy wearing a camel hair tuxedo, and that's weird, but I'm interested. (laughs) You know, that guy's eating wild honey and locusts, like, that's strange. And then there's this guy, you know, he just, he's, he's, he's not even like formally educated, you know, he's, he's, he's a carpenter. He, he's the son of a, of a teenage unwed mother. Like he was born out of wedlock. There's no way this guy could be important. There's no way this guy could be special. And here he comes preaching a, a recycled sermon, but he's walking in weird authority and strange miracles and signs and wonders and power and all this stuff is happening. Like, I'm curious. I mean, at the very least, they were curious. At the very least, they were fascinated. They thought, oh, i got to follow this dude. I mean, if nothing more than for the Insta stories. <laughs> you know? I want to show off what I'm doing to my friends. I got to live, live stream it on Facebook, you know, because I want to make sure everybody knows. Like, you know, I'm in touch with my spiritual side, and I'm cool like that, and I'm important. And so they, they begin to follow Jesus, and uh, it's not very long after that Jesus says, okay, look, guys, you've, you've heard me share a message. It's a very short message, but you've heard me share it. You may have wondered what that means. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that even mean, you know? But you've been doing all these miracles. Jesus, could you stop long enough to sit down and tell us what your kingdom is really all about? Could you, could you take a seat? You've been walking around doing all this itinerant ministry. Could you pastor us for a minute? Could you stay in one location long enough for us to hear what it means to follow you, for us to hear what it means to be a part of your kingdom, for us to hear what it means to be a disciple, for us to be, you know, have some explanation of what it means to be a believer? And Jesus is like, sure, I'm going to do that. It's going to be a little bit of a discourse you're going to go pretty hungry afterwards, but don't worry. I'll feed you with uh, a Long John Silver's kids meal, and it'll feed a few thousand of you. And so before that, go ahead and get out your tablets of stone and prepare to make notes. <laughs> or papyrus or whatever you got in your back pocket. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to crack a preacher joke. You guys could at least make me feel better about my sense of humor. So, so Jesus, you know, he, he takes a seat. He sits down, you know. He's been, he's been walking the shorelines, and, and he's been preaching this short sermon and demonstrating the power. And he takes a seat, and he says, okay, all right, all right, all right. Everybody have a seat. Get your iPhones out because it's time for some notes. So everybody have a seat. And uh, I'm going to give you a class called Kingdom 101. So 
You, you've been wondering what this kingdom is about. You've been wondering by what authority do I do these things. You've been wondering about how I acquired all of this power and this ability to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the leper and cast out demons. And I'm going to share that with you today. So Jesus sits down and he's like, okay, I'm going to explain it to you. Get your notepads out. Okay. <clears throat> Close his throat. You need, has a little sip of water. Blessed are the poor. And uh, everybody's thinking, uh, <laughs> it's very funny. It's funny. Okay, come on. Get to the good stuff. Blessed are the poor. Is he serious right now? Like, for real, for real? Like, this can't, this can't be real. Okay. Come on, get to the good stuff. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus begins to give his introductory message on what the kingdom is and the very first major point of his first major sermon, the first chapter of the Kingdom 101 syllabus is this. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for my kingdom belongs to them. Now this is shocking. Absolutely shocking. Because you have so many different people in the audience who are not poor. They have plenty of money. They have plenty of possessions. They're able to feed themselves. They're able to clothe themselves. They pay a hefty mortgage. So they're thinking, blessed are the poor. What? He's crazy. But then you have another group of people, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, religious, religious folks, and, uh, you know, they hear, blessed are the poor in spirit? What? There is no way that could be true either. Because what Jesus is saying is that my kingdom belongs to the poor. And what Jesus is saying is, my kingdom belongs to those who are not very good at being spiritual. And for all the people who are listening, Jesus told them, I've come here to declare the gospel. What does the gospel mean? Come on, everybody say it with me. It means good news. So for all of the people who are listening, they are confronted with this first major point. Come on. They are confronted. Got my amen corner here. We're good to go. I can preach all day. How much time y'all got? Don't worry. Kids ministry. It'll be all right. Joking. I thought maybe Pastor Rick was coming up through the back. like. So, you know, his first major point, this is his first major point. You know, this is the first thing that he says. And so for all of these people who are listening, those who are rich and those who are religious, they're thinking, this is not good news. He just said he was going to give us the gospel. Where's the gospel? This isn't good because I'm rich. So what does he mean by the fact that the people who are poor are the ones getting in? I'm rich. Does that mean I'm not in? What does that mean? 
You know, because, you know, I, I, I feel great about having all this money. I feel great about, you know, all of my savings and my stewardship. And I've been giving and I've been tithing. And even, you know, I've even pulled the mint and the basil out of my herb gardens. And I've been tithing on that because that's how faithful I am. And then I'm also religious. So what about the fact that you're saying that people who are not good at being spiritual are in? Are you serious? You're going to let the people who only come to church once a month into the kingdom? What about me? I'm there every time the doors are open. I serve. I give. I have a long train on the back of my road to symbolize how spiritual I am. I have Jesus in my uh, Twitter profile. I'm very spiritual and I'm very proud of it. What does that mean for me? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, look, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is shocking. This is shocking, and that's the nature of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are meant to shock us because if you look at the culture in which we live, the Beatitudes are the very opposite. And I think that we could all acknowledge that if we would seriously read them and have some real consideration about the Beatitudes. Nobody in our culture that is poor we would not consider them blessed. True story? True or false? Nobody who's not very good at being spiritual, we wouldn't call them blessed, would we? No. But these are the very people that Jesus stands up and says, these are the people who's blessed. People are not good at being spiritual. People are poor. And this is shocking. But see, that's the nature of Christ's message. Jesus did not come preaching and teaching, uh, you know, common information with slightly a new bent. So that we could become more effective in our careers. Like that's not what Jesus came preaching and teaching. The gospel was there for that. It definitely makes us more effective. But he was going to the root. He was cutting to the core. He was speaking straight to the spirit. And he was saying these are the people who I've, who I've come for. So in the same way that the crowd heard the message that day. I want to ask you guys the same question. Is it good news to you? Is that good news? When you hear that Jesus' kingdom breaks forth for people who don't have anything in their bank accounts, do you rejoice or do you get judgmental? When you hear the message that Jesus came to accept and to receive people who are not good at being spiritual, do you get judgmental? Do you get offended or do you rejoice? Is that good news for us? Is it really good news for us? Is it the gospel for us? Because see, the Beatitudes are meant to shake us. The, um, the Beatitudes are meant to shock us. But today we don't read the Beatitudes very much. We don't read this message, this Kingdom 101 message. Well, we read it at marriages, we read it at funerals, and we read it, you know, when it comes up in our annual reading plan, if we have one of those. And, you know, it's like, all right, cool, it's awesome. You know, and, and, and maybe we like it enough or we're inspired by it enough every so often to take it and print it out and like burn the edges and frame it and, you know, write it in a calligraphy pen and then post it on our mantle or somewhere in our house. And we say, look at this poetry. Because it's, it is beautiful language, but I think it's become commonplace for us to get very sentimental about the Beatitudes. To get very sentimental about Jesus. To confess him with our lips and yet our heart is far from a passionate place of wanting to be transformed into his image. To walk the world as he walked the world. And, and so we, 
We get sentimental about it. We say, oh, you know, that's awesome. That's cute. That's beautiful. That's lovely. That's, that's, all, that's inspiring. That's motivating. But did you guys know that to become sentimental about Jesus is the religious way of ignoring Jesus? To get sentimental about the Beatitudes is to miss the purpose of the sermon. Jesus was teaching us, hey, look, if you're going to be a kingdom citizen, if you're going to walk in alignment with the very nature and essence of the heart of God, you're going to have to understand that this is the way that my kingdom is laid out. The The last people that you think that I would be close to are the very ones that I came to seek. The people that are naturally ostracized by the world are the very places that you find Jesus. The people who are pushed aside and neglected and and said, you know, they don't matter are the very people that Jesus gave his sermons to. Those are the very people that Jesus ate with, that he broke bread with. The last people that we expect to find God with is the very people that you see God serving. And there he is passing out bread there he is releasing blessing there he is hanging out with those who are not good at being spiritual he's hanging out with the sinners there he is hanging out with those that are bad stewards and they steal the tax collectors I think we should get an eye opening revelation that the people that we think that are far from God may very well be the people that Jesus is sitting with right now. And so instead of throwing the stones, which I know that we're apt to do, maybe we could stoop down and serve long enough to listen to their stories. Because this is the path of Jesus. This is the way of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Kingdom 101. This is the Beatitudes. That we would be broken and contrite in spirit for those are the ones that God is close to. King David teaches us in the Psalms. You know, but the shock of this message should lead us to one thing. Surrender. Because God is really, really good at offending us. I don't know if you guys have noticed that in your life with Christ yet. One man said that God will offend your mind to reveal your heart. And I think that when we get offended, it's a great opportunity for us to take our heart and hold it up next to the mercy of Jesus. Because he's not taking hold of that wounded heart and tossing it in the fire but he's loving it back to wholeness and he's restoring the joy and he's restoring the thanksgiving and he's restoring the love and with mercy he showers you and with grace that's sufficient for you he brings you close and he reinstates you into the kingdom and he gives you identity and he lifts you up and and he releases you into your purpose and that's what Jesus teaches us to do and that's why the right response to the shock of the Beatitudes is surrender And, you know, I, I know this is a tough message and maybe, uh, or maybe it's not. But maybe for some people it is. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm great at being spiritual. That's okay. You can be great at it. Or, or maybe you think, man, I got a whole lot of money. And, and if you do, awesome. I'm very happy for you. 
lay hands on me. That's awesome. Hey, look, God doesn't have a problem with you being spiritual. God doesn't have a problem with you having money. God has a problem with money having you. And God has a problem with religion having us. And that's why he gave this shocking message. So that we could surrender. Because inwardly, we should resemble a beggar outwardly. Knowing that no matter what we have, it's all been borrowed from him. No matter what we have, we're simply stewards. Because all that we have was given to us by him and through him we steward it. And when it's all said and done, belongs to him anyway. And so let our shock today become surrender in our spirits where we look to heaven and we say, God, I'm completely dependent upon you. I'm not dependent upon my religion to save me. I'm not dependent upon my money to be my freedom. But I'm looking at you because you are the only one that is sufficient to save. I cannot set myself free from consumerism. I cannot set myself free from the spirit of the age. I cannot set myself free from religiosity. I cannot set myself free from pride. I cannot set myself free from sin. And so I come to you in humility, but with boldness, and I say, I surrender. I surrender. So if you're with me today, church, and you want to surrender as we pray, I just want to invite you to stand up and surrender along with me. I know we'll sing this song one more time, but I really want us to not just lift the song, but really lift our hearts today and, and be set free. And so here, here's, what I'm, here's what I would like to do. And if you don't mind, just close your eyes, bow your head with me, because I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not trying to call anybody out or anything like that. But if you're in here today, and this may seem a little generic, but if you're in here today and you're like, man, I want a real, more authentic walk with the Lord Jesus. I, I've been living in accordance to the rules of religion and I've been going to church and participating in religion out of routine but I just gotta have something I gotta have something real I gotta have something authentic rules and regulations ain't gonna keep me I just I need to have a new spiritual revival I need to have something happen in me that that shifts everything that I know and think about God I might be down to my I know I'm giving you guys a lot of descriptors and it could be everybody in here but I just what I want to go after today is I want to go after you if you're in here and you're just on your last leg with Christianity, but you really, really love Jesus and you want to have an authentic, more authentic expression of discipleship. I just want you to lift your hands up. I just want to pray for you. I just want to, you know, see if that's you. Just lift your hands. There's, there's several hands up. And to be honest, I mean, we could probably all raise our hands really, but thank you for those of you who lifted up your hands because I'm going to pray specifically for you that the Lord would meet you this week in power and in love that he would arrest your heart 
and that he would baptize you afresh in his spirit that you would be filled up in the same way that the disciples were filled in the upper room in Acts 2 and that the fire of heaven would fall on you and that you would be transformed and transplanted into a revival in the spirit and that you would be set on fire for Jesus like never before that you would be passionate about fulfilling his calling and walking out his will and embodying his lifestyle on the earth that you would step out in risk and you would go for what God has called you to go for